Hello, church. As you said, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Phil Item. I'm the pastor of Student Ministries and Young Adults here at MPCC, and it is my privilege to get to share uh, from the Word with you this morning. Um, and that is obviously a tough act to follow, but it was so encouraging to hear uh, from the Stout family and um, all that the Lord is doing worldwide in missions. Um, but we are going to switch gears here. We're going to switch gears here quite a bit. So um, I'm going to start this morning talking about dirt. Well, specifically, think about sand. And you see, in the right locations, I love sand. Sand is great. Um, there's a few places that I think comes naturally that I love sand. If I'm on beach trips with uh, the Item family in North Carolina, and I'm uh, lounging on a towel, or I'm playing spike ball with my siblings, or I'm jumping into the Atlantic Ocean, in those locations, we can all agree sand is pretty great. Uh, if I'm on the volleyball court, whether it's with my team playing at the Lord Fletcher's League Sand Volleyball, or I'm playing the game Nukem with my youth group students here at our church's volleyball court, in those places, I love sand. Uh, if I'm playing with my uh, son, toddler son, Easton, I'm playing with toy scoopers, or I'm playing with dump trucks, and we're just in a sandbox, just having a fun time, moving dirt around, in that location, I love sand. You see, in the right locations and in the proper circumstances, I think sand is great. And I think our topic this morning functions in a similar way. So we're going to be continuing in our summer series studying the book of Proverbs, which we've been in throughout uh, this year so far. And we're going to tackle what, uh, just to be honest with you all, can sometimes be a very awkward and difficult conversation, and that is God's wisdom in the area of sex and relational intimacy. Now, sex is something that God created for our good and for our joy. God created sexuality and gave woman and man to each other in the very beginning. And in the right context, in the right places and locations, sex has the ability to physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally unite a couple. It also has the ability to produce children, which is really one of the greatest gifts that uh, someone could ever receive. But even something that was intended for our good can be bad for us in the wrong context. So let's just go back to the analogy of sand, right? I like sand when I'm at the beach or I'm playing volleyball. But to tell you something, there's a lot of places I can't stand sand as well. Sand hurts if it gets in my eye. I can't stand sand if it's in my shoes while I'm trying to walk. I don't like sand in my house if it gets in the carpet of my house or it gets in the floor and you have to clean it up. Um, there's a reason you want to, you know, hose off before you go inside from playing volleyball because sand is not good in your shower drain, clogging it up. Um, and I think of all the places, sand is the worst. I think sand is the absolute worst in the sheets of your bed, you know, trying to, trying to move around, rattle around, you're just feeling the, you know, get into the creases of the sheets. It's, that's the absolute worst. And I think in a similar way, physical intimacy outside of the boundaries of God's wisdom is like sand in your sheets. It's taking something that can be beautiful in one location, such as in the committed covenant relationship uh, of marriage, and it's messing with it in the wrong places. And uh, in 2022, our broader culture tends to be pretty cavalier and casual when it comes to sexuality. But the reality is that sex outside of God's protection, outside of what God laid out in God's word, can lead us down a path of sin, of pain, and consequences. Take uh, maybe an example of a young couple, right? 
they, they're, they feel like they're in love. They feel like they're going to be together forever. Um, that, you know, they, they found the right one. So they push things too far when they're dating and they go too far physically. And then one day, for whatever reason, maybe it's a fight happens or they drift apart over time, they end up breaking up, right? And there's great uh, sometimes sadness and guilt over that separation. It's because they were united together in a way that wasn't meant to ever be separated. Sex is only intended for lifelong covenant relationships. And that emotional toll or hurt that the separation carries with them, and it will carry with them into future relationships. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but unfortunately I think that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the consequences of sexual sin. I think the examples in our society and our world are vast. Um, Obviously, sexual sin can lead to addiction that causes shame and isolation. Um, The sexual sin of adultery can separate families. It can cause divorce and uh, children to be separated. Um, Our sexual sin is the reason that uh, sexual abuse and rape and sexually transmitted diseases and unplanned pregnancies and abortion, all of these are the result of sex outside of the boundaries of God's wisdom. And here's the thing. I know some of you in the room right now might be thinking, oh man, did I pick the wrong morning to show up to church? (laughs) I have to listen to the youth pastor teach about sex. And I totally get where you're coming from. This can be a super awkward thing to talk about. As we were playing this uh, series throughout Proverbs, we know that it talks a lot about this area, and it also talks a lot about money. So we were like, Dominic, let's just hit him back-to-back, the two taboo topics. I'll talk about sex. You can talk about money next week. And we'll just hit, we'll just hit the two hardest topics back-to-back. But, um, and you also, you know, because it can make us feel uncomfortable. And uh, also, it's really something you might be thinking, is this something we really have to talk about in church, you know, like, can, is that something we really have to talk about? And uh, my answer, my thought around this is yes. I, oop. All right, there we go. Uh, I do think it is something that we uh, should talk about, and that's the, the reason for that being is that God's word does talk about it. God's word actually speaks about it kind of a lot. Um, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul writes, Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. And this means that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and thus God dwells in us. So when we mess around with sexuality, we are bringing God into those places, and we are dishonoring him greatly. In the book of Proverbs, which is our current area of study, uh, the author Solomon actually writes about this area pretty extensively, dedicating entire chapters to warning against adultery and sexual sin. So that's a primary reason we should talk about it, is that God's Word talks about it a lot. But I think a uh, secondary and lesser reason would be that uh, Christians, we need to not shy away from this topic because I think the world absolutely needs to hear godly wisdom in this area. You see, uh, in our world today, it doesn't shy away from discussing sex. It's shown extensively um, in movies and TV. It's discussed and talked about um, in our schools. It's talked about in social media and on YouTube. 
And if that's the case, and I'm telling you it, it is the case, I think you would agree, then it would probably be a good idea to talk about it in church as well. And be talking about it in our homes with our families. Because the reality is that God's wisdom is vastly different than worldly wisdom when it comes to this area. And if we can discover what God's wisdom is, it can help guard us and protect us um, from the faulty ideas that often bombard us from the world. So as Christians, we need to understand that God created sex, he designed us as sexual beings, and that he cares about our sexuality. As I mentioned, Proverbs sure doesn't shy away from this topic, just like other topics we've talked about so far, such as like the influence of our peers or our friends or wisdom in the words that we speak. Proverbs understands that this is an area we can often go down two different paths. Path one is we can go down the route of foolishness and folly, right? The path of a fool. This ultimately leads to pain and sin and ultimately death. Path two is uh, sometimes a narrower path, but it's God's path of wisdom, which will lead to joy, fulfillment, and fellowship with God. He guards and protects us on this path. So uh, if you want to open up your Bibles, let's just take a quick sampling of some verses on sexual sin found in the book of Proverbs. So be ready for some page flipping here, and we obviously don't have time to go through all of them. But this is an area that, like I said, is mentioned a lot. And um, the first area is Proverbs chapter 2, if you jump down to verse 16. And this is where King Solomon is listing out the benefits of wisdom, right? He's going through the different benefits of wisdom in this chapter. This is near the end. So Proverbs 2, verse 16 through 19, it says, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None will go to her, return or attain the paths of life. You see here, Psalms making the imagery of the two paths, right? One that leads to life, one the other that leads to death. This is a very important area. Uh, the next section we'll read is Proverbs 5. Um, so if you flip to there, and this contrasts um, both the beauty of sex within marriage against uh, sex outside of the marriage bed. And uh, we'll start at Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18. And just fair warning while I read this, this is his songs of Solomon, any romantic, gooey feeling that Solomon gets in the book of Proverbs, all right? So starting at verse 18, it says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. You see again the imagery of the paths there in verse 21, that everything we do is in full view of God. And this passage starts off by celebrating just how wonderful romantic love can be to a faithfully married couple when a husband and wife can lovingly and freely give themselves to one another. But it also shows the danger and consequences of seeking intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage. Uh, if you jump one chapter, we're not going to have time to read from there, but the second half of Proverbs 6 is all a warning against adultery from verse 20 on. Um, it teaches us that God's commands in this area are meant to protect us from the darkness and the paths that lead to destruction. 
And uh, we're going to end this morning actually reading Proverbs chapter 7, um, a section from there. And uh, it's an entire chapter warning against, you guessed it, adultery and sexual sin. So as I said, the Bible does not shy away from this important topic. And uh, you might be wondering, why all this imagery to an immoral woman, and why is it always about a son? And just, uh, you have to remember that Proverbs is written from the standpoint of a father passing down wisdom to his son, right, in the times of ancient Israel. So um, that is kind of the context that's used to talk about sexual sin, but I don't think that this is a passage that's just relevant for married men. I actually believe that uh, the principles here about God's design for sex and the dangers of lust and temptation that every Christian can learn from this, whether you're married or you're single, whether you're man or woman, whether you're young or old, we can all learn from the principles laid out here in God's word. And as with many things in life, when it comes to sex, there is the real deal, and then there's the counterfeit of the real deal. Uh, many of my students know this, but I'm a connoisseur when it comes to uh, the soda Mountain Dew, right? Uh, and for better or worse, and in this case I recognize it's almost all worse, um, I could pretty easy tell you the difference between Mountain Dew and all the other knockoff brands that there are out there, right? So you're talking Surge, uh, Mellow Yellow, Fountain Mist, Mountain Lightning, Mountain Yellow, Mountain Frost, Mountain Showers, Mountain Drops, Monsoon Dew, all of them. <laughs> They don't have, they, don't, they can't hold a candle, right, to the real thing Mountain Dew. They're just knockoffs, right? They're off-brands. They can't live up to the real thing. So with the time we have left this morning, I want to accomplish two things. First, I want to briefly give you the high-level overview of God's design for sex, because this is the real deal. This is what we should be striving for, right? This is uh, the real thing. And then second, using Proverbs 7, discuss how to recognize the counterfeits, Right? how to recognize the mountain showers and the mountain drops and the monsoon dews, because they're not that good, right? And in this case, in the area of sexual sin, the counterfeits come through the lies told to us through lust and temptation. So first, let's look at the real deal. Let's look at three biblical principles when it comes to God's original plan for sex. And these really should serve as our foundation of a Christian's understanding in this area. So uh, the first is this. It's uh, that God created sex and sex is good. God created sex and sex is good. So we don't have time to read the entire Genesis account here, but I'm just going to highlight a couple different passages. First is in Genesis 2 verse 18. It says, it is not good for a man to be alone. And then jumping down to verse 24, it says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Go back a chapter in Genesis 1:28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, both of these verses are taken before the fall, before sin entered our world, right? We see that God created sexuality and gave woman and man to each other in the very beginning. We don't need to be ashamed of the fact that we are sexual beings, right? Genesis 1.28, in fact, comes immediately after God creates man and woman. He says, be fruitful and multiply. That was, in fact, the very first commandment for humanity, and Adam and Eve were no, no doubt probably quite happy to obey that command. Um, additionally, the Bible, throughout the entire Bible, it contains great love poetry that celebrates sexual passion and pleasure. Um, take example, the entire book of the Songs of Solomon, or the section we read in Proverbs 5, or in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7. 
But when sin entered the world, our sinful heart wants to use sex for selfish reasons, and therefore the Bible rules and guidelines around it to use it in the right way. That's the first principle. The second is this, and that is that sex is a uniting act. This is really important because the world tries to tell us that sex is just purely a physical act, right? It's almost like if you're hungry, then you go and eat something, and then your appetite is filled. And they try to treat sex in the same way. They say, you have a desire to have sex, so then you have it, and then your appetite is filled. And it tries to kind of treat it as if it's no big deal. But it's so much more than that. Jesus says in Mark uh, chapter 10, it says, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And Jesus here is clearly referencing the Genesis verses we just read, but he's going even further and emphasizing the uniting aspect of physical intimacy. See, to God, uh, sex is a physical act, but it's so much more than that. It's an emotional, spiritual, mental act as well. It causes us to feel deeply connected to another person. And uh, this is another area where current research is kind of um, backing up things that the Bible has long held true, but we know that the hormone oxytocin is released during intimacy, and this makes us feel chemically bonded to the other person, right? So two are united into one. Sex is a uniting act. And when two are united, they're not meant to ever be separated. This is why the third biblical principle is so important, and that is that sex is for marriage. Um, the world teaches us that sex can simply be a tool used to test compatibility or discover romantic feelings, that they think that abstinence from sex until marriage is unrealistic or ludicrous. And I don't have time to dispel all those myths uh, today in that, that the world has in that area today, but other than general to say the world's wisdom just isn't working, Right. Um, even in couples dating together with the best of intentions, studies have found that of eight couples who are dating and decide to live together before they're getting married, only seven of those eight or seven of those eight couples end up in divorce. Only one of those eight couples end up staying married, and that's because God's wisdom in this area is very different. Hebrews thirteen four says that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. See, uh, in the Bible, sex is so much more than just a compatibility test. Sex is a gift for use within marriage between a man and a woman. It's intended to be beautiful, physical, spiritual, and emotional act that you share with only one other person. So those are the three principles to help us recognize the real deal, that God created sex and sex is good, that it's so much more than just a physical act, it's a uniting act, and that it's intended only for marriage. So now with our final minutes, we're going to switch back to Proverbs 7, if you still have that open, so we can recognize the counterfeit, right? Jesus teaches us uh, in John eight forty four. he says, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And this speaks to the fact that Satan overall is a deceiver. He wants to take something that was intended to be beautiful, and he wants to twist it and distort it and make it uh, into something cheap and selfish, right, and wrong. And he does, Satan doesn't want us to experience the real deal. He wants to trick us into taking the counterfeit. So if you turn to Proverbs chapter 7, we're going to start on verse 6. And um, there's also going to be the words on the screen. And as you read this, um, I just ask you to try to pay close attention to the tactics and lies 
that Satan uses to try to tempt this man into adultery and into having a relationship outside of um, a relationship with his wife. So if you're taking notes, maybe jot them down or just make a mental note as you're reading through it of the lies and tactics that are used to try to seduce this man. So starting at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 6. Sorry, it's pretty, pretty small on the side screen, so maybe uh, listen or open up in your Bible. It says, At the window of my house I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young man a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of the night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner, she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vows, and I have food for my fellowship offerings at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has long gone away on a journey. He took his purse filled with money without supervision. We are at our most susceptible and vulnerable when we are isolated and alone. And Satan knows this, and he uses this. Verse 12 is another tactic I saw. It says, now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. Satan wants to trap us simply by putting it everywhere, putting it everywhere, right? And doesn't this feel especially true in 2022 where um, everything from the phones in our pocket can instantly take us to images or videos we shouldn't see? Our social media apps could immediately connect us with other people seeking sexual encounters. Um, from what we watch and consume, the online advertisements, the billboards on the road, TV shows and movies, it's all pervasive and entrenched in our society. It's just almost everywhere. The next tactic I noticed, consuming substitute for love. And lastly, uh, the thing I noticed was in verse 19, it says, my husband is not at home. He has gone away on a long journey. And I think this is the lie that Satan tries to tell that the risk of being found out is very low. Satan is saying, don't worry about it. You won't have to face any of the consequences. No one is going to find out. Right? She's saying, my husband, is he's not going to come home. He'll, he'll be gone for days and weeks. But the problem of sexual sin is it does eventually have consequences. You might be able to keep something hidden from other people for a time, but ultimately, the effects of sexual sin will impact your heart, mind, and soul. Um, and as Proverbs 5.21, as we read earlier, it says, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. So sexual sin, is, sexual sin is seen by God, and like all other sins, it affects your relationship with God. And the verses found in Proverbs chapter 7 from verse 22 to 27 about the consequences of this, they feel so harsh. I mean, those words in there, like an ox going to the slaughter, costing you your life, a highway to the grave, leading to chambers of death. This is certainly not how the adulterous woman described it, right? It was going to be fun. It was going to be innocent. It was going to be secretive. It was going to be full of love and passion and pleasure. But godly wisdom teaches us that things are not always as they are presented, right? Rare is the person who willingly, knowingly takes the way to hell and descends to the chamber of death, right? No one would just actively usually choose that. But the power of temptation and the power of the tempter 
is concealing what the end result eventually is. So real wisdom sees what is being concealed. So God is pleading with you through the book of Proverbs that sexual sin is not just an innocent pleasure that has no consequences. It is sand in your bed. You don't want to become trapped or addicted to something that you know is destroying you and is leading you into a place you don't want to go. So don't be deceived into taking the counterfeit. Instead, strive for the real deal. So right now, um, in your spirit, you might be feeling pretty convicted, right? You might know, if you analyze yourself, that sexual sin or thoughts is an area you are currently struggling with. And this is where I just want to quickly remind you of the amazing good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? God doesn't love us based on what, who we are or what we've done or what's in our past. God loves us based on who he is. In Romans 8, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, author and pastor Tim Keller says it this way. He says, The gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than ever dared hope. Because God loves us, this is why God wants to transform every area of our life for the better, including our sexuality. So if you're struggling in this area, there's two places I just want to encourage you to start. First is simply face up to the sin, right? Confess it to the Lord. Right then, he gives you forgiveness and cleansing. Scripture says it this way, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's just saying, Lord, simply, Lord, I've blown it, right? I need your help. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that that can transform my life. Second thing I would recommend is it can be particularly helpful to talk about it with another person, right? So admit it and talk about it with a pastor or an elder or a Christian therapist or a trusted friend. Right? Ask someone else for accountability. Ask to be reminded from that person about God's kindness that leads us to transformation and changes our lives. You are not alone in your struggles. Right? That's, that's why we have the church, that's why we have a body of believers to support each other. And C.S. Lewis wrote that friendship is born when one person says, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. So trusted friends and accountability can be incredibly tools to help you overcome this area. So as we've said, God is not against sex, right? Far from it. But it needs to be in the proper place, under the proper authority, treating our bodies and others' bodies as temples that they are to the Holy Spirit. Sex is God-given, but when we are seeking pleasure outside of God's design and for the purposes of self-gratification or purpose of hiding our pain, that's when God says, whoa, 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 that's like sand in your bed. You don't want that. That's not good for you. Long-term, you aren't going to like where that takes you. So instead of mourning after, sand in the carpet, God wants us to experience a lifetime of long walks on the beach. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Father, I just thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your words. And um, as we kind of discussed just a difficult topic this morning, one that is heavy, one that There might be um, a lot of past hurt in this area or um, emotions. Lord, I just pray um, your spirit would give people peace 
that um, if they're feeling convicted, that they would seek forgiveness from you and know that you are faithful and just and um, that you love them and will forgive them. Um, Lord, if it's an area that people know they need further help, I, I pray that they would seek that out, um, that they would not feel alone, that Satan wants them to feel trapped and isolated and alone and guilty and shame. And um, Lord, you, you want to free them from those things. So um, I just pray that freedom um, over people and um, that they would uh, feel that they can get the help that they need in this area. But Lord, as we uh, go into this week in our lives, I pray that we can just be representatives of you, that we can be your light in the world, that in this area of sexual integrity and purity, that um, we can be the light that the world so greatly needs, um, just being um, showing your wisdom in this area. So we love you, Lord. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.